As the time of the judges comes to a close, the people demand a king to be like other nations. Do you think a king will solve their problems? Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. To start this episode, I want to remind you of something that we've talked about and mentioned several times through this jog through. God's rule, which we described as God's sovereign rule. And remember, sovereignty is simply this. God's right to do what he wants, whenever he wants. And he expresses his rule over the world through both direct activity in it, like the parting of the Red Sea for the Israelites, and through granting subordinate sovereignty to others, like when he commanded Adam and Eve to rule over the earth. Remember, we pictured this sovereignty like two circles, where God had a bigger circle, which represented his total sovereignty, and there were smaller circles where God granted people like Adam and Eve their ability to do what they want within a certain realm. God in his sovereignty can do whatever he wants, and in some cases, what he wants to do is grant sovereignty to others so that they can do whatever they want. That said, subordinate sovereignty always exists in the context of God's overarching rule over all things. And when subordinate sovereignty is misused, God can still do whatever he wants. Oftentimes, God will bring judgment on someone who misuses their sovereignty. In a very small way, we've seen this with the Israelites over the last several episodes. God essentially says to them, You get to choose whether to follow my laws or not, granting them subordinate sovereignty. But God also says that his consequences will follow their choices. If they obey, blessing. And if they disobey, cursing. People can do what they want, when they want, but that doesn't mean they escape from God's overarching sovereignty. Now, God has been interacting with the Israelites such that he was the direct ruler over them. In the wilderness, he ruled over them using Moses as his mouthpiece and the pillars of cloud and fire to show them where to go. Then he used Joshua as his tool to lead the people. After that, God raised up judge after judge to lead the people by God's power. God's rule, through indirect and through particular leaders, was God's rule. And this was true since the miraculous deliverance from Egyptian slavery. For hundreds of years, God was the ruler over the Israelites. But those days were coming to an end. The next phase in the Bible story begins with the introduction of a man named Samuel. When Samuel is a little boy, he's called by God as a prophet to Israel. Remember, a prophet is someone who speaks God's words on God's behalf with God's approval. The Bible says this about Samuel in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. Apparently, God's work in Samuel's life was so evident that everyone in Israel knew about it, and he was judge over Israel until he was an old man. It's at this point, after generations of judges, that the people of Israel rebel against God in a new way. Listen to this from 1 Samuel chapter 8. The people said to him, Behold, you are old. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, 
forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. Don't miss what God says here. God says that they are rejecting his rule as king over them. They want someone they can see, who they can rally behind. They want to be like the other nations who have kings. And God essentially says to Samuel, Give the people what they want, but warn them first. So Samuel goes to the people and warns them that a king will tax them. He will take their sons for his army. He will take their daughters to work as his servants. The king will take the best of their fields, harvests, and livestock. Furthermore, he says, In that day you will cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Even after this stark warning, the people still demand a king. So God gives them one. And this king's name is Saul. Saul was from a wealthy household, and the Bible describes him as the tallest and most handsome man in Israel. The kind of man, perhaps, that people would want to follow. And so Samuel anoints Saul as the king over Israel. A quick word on anointing. We said that Samuel anointed Saul. This was a practice done in Israel to essentially commission someone to an office. To be anointed was to have oil poured on your head, and this was largely done to priests and to kings as a designation of their offices. This concept of anointing will become more significant as we continue to move through the Old Testament, as the scriptures begin to anticipate a future anointed one. But that's for another episode. For now, you should just view anointing as an act that designates someone for a particular office. Okay, so Saul is anointed by Samuel, and he begins to lead the people of Israel. And after about two years, he's struggling a bit in battle with a people in the land called the Philistines. And he decides to try to gain God's favor by performing one of the daily sacrifices, which only priests were supposed to perform. This was specified in the law that God had given the nation. Only priests were to do this. Well, perhaps needless to say, this was a no-no for Saul. Saul was not allowed to make this sacrifice, and as soon as the prophet Samuel shows up and sees what happened, he says this to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Just about two years after anointing Saul as king over Israel, Samuel announces that Saul's dynasty will end with him. He will be replaced by someone else as king. A new dynasty will rise. Now this coming dynasty will not actually assume the throne for another 40 years, but the seeds of the new king will start to bear fruit even before the new king takes power. We'll explore this in the next episode. I want to end this episode, however, with a reflection on two things that God has been expressing to his people ever since their deliverance from Egypt, and really since the beginning of the Bible. We've talked a lot about laws and requirements and sacrifices, but we haven't highlighted something that God expresses alongside these. God's mercy and God's grace. Now, some working definitions of these will be helpful. God's mercy is the fact that he does not always give people what they deserve. And God's grace is the fact that God often gives people what they don't deserve. Said another way, 
Mercy is relief from deserved punishment, while grace is undeserved blessing. Again, mercy is relief from deserved punishment, whereas grace is blessing that is undeserved. Just think for a moment of the trajectory of the nation of Israel so far. Ever since Egypt, the nation has been on a slow spiral downward. They complain within just weeks after leaving Egypt. They build a golden calf as a fake god. They reject going into the land of Canaan. Then, after a brief obedient revival under Joshua, the judges enter the picture and they enter the cycle of rejecting God over and over again. Until finally, they demand a king from God, rejecting God's rule over them. If there was any nation that deserved punishment, wasn't it Israel? And yet, God does not judge them as their rejection deserves. He is merciful to them, often relieving them from deserved destruction and instead granting another chance. And on top of that, he miraculously provides and saves the people over and over again. God didn't have to give them the manna bread from heaven. God didn't have to lead them by the pillars of cloud and fire in the wilderness. God didn't have to give them victory over their enemies. God could have justifiably condemned the nation and destroyed them, and he continues to have that right. Yet, God delays judgment. He provides opportunities to turn back to him. In the period of the judges, every time the Israelites cried out because their enemies were ruling over them, God would raise up a judge to save his people. And yet, that cycle continued. They eventually turned away from him again. And here, with the people's rejection of God as king and ruler over the nation, we see the nation continue its downward trend. Yet, As we continue to see throughout the Old Testament, God's mercy is always waiting for the people to turn to Him. He's always waiting with grace and blessing, even when His people don't deserve it. Even though they've rejected Him, He still yet graciously provides kings that lead the nation to more victories as they conquer the land of Canaan. Here's the takeaway. A few episodes ago, we mentioned that God requires 100% obedience. And this is always and forever true of God. That said, God is also overflowing with mercy and grace, who will give second chances a thousand times over to anyone who has a heart that turns to Him in faith and trust. We're going to see this with the next king of Israel, who, though a corrupt sinner, demonstrates the life of faith that seeks to honor God. A king who recognizes the mercy and grace of God so much that he says this about God. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The next king knows that God wants a heart more than he wants a sacrifice. He wants the heart more than he wants the law. Because when God has the heart, everything else falls into place. The heart of faith, after all, is the key to righteousness. Thanks for listening to The Bible Brief. Have you donated to the Bible Literacy Foundation? We'd love for you to partner with us so that we can expand our reach and grow. Your support means more people will have access to the life-changing story and message of the Bible. 
The easy way to donate is to click the link in the show notes to this episode. Alternatively, you can go to our website, BibleLiteracyFoundation.com and click donate. Thank you for making this show possible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2022.